All right, my friends, if you want to uh, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, which is going to be on page 967 of those Blue Pew Bibles, uh, our first scripture reading this morning is the entirety of 2 Corinthians 8, although I'm going to summarize a little bit. Now, just to set the scene, uh, Paul has been sharing about the Christian ministry and how all the Corinthians, all Christians are called into ministry and are to be about ministering to, uh, to the people, ministering, yes, to the Lord, that is a thing, and ministering because that's the call God has on our lives. And he is telling them that whatever it costs, it is worth it. That they should be encouraged to participate in making God's kingdom known by making God's king known through Jesus Christ. And he tells them about what uh, Timothy and Titus have done. And then 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then Paul goes on to commend Titus, who's traveling around to do ministry, and reminds the Corinthians of their commitment to see the ministry go forward, and then gives them this final encouragement in verse 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So this whole text in 2 Corinthians 8 is in some ways the counterpart 
to our sermon text today, which is in 2 Chronicles 31, which is going to be over on page 382 of the Blue Pew Bibles. Now, uh, we have enough visitors here today. I feel like I ought to say, we're just doing a series through the books of Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. Uh, so it's not like we're hard up for cash today, so I'm going to give you a tithe sermon. That's just the sermon you showed up for. <laughs> uh, but we, our series, we've been calling Reclaimed, Revived, Reformed, and Returned. And we've just been working our way through one chapter at a time, the books of Chronicles. And last week, Pastor Mike introduced us to good King Hezekiah and his ministry of restoring the temple and the Passover celebrations uh, and a renewed sense of Judah's purpose to honor and worship the Lord Yahweh, their God. And we left off with the people worshiping, sort of wrapping up worship as it were, uh, getting the benediction, being blessed by Yahweh's representatives, the priests and Levites, and that narrative just continues chugging right on into 2 Chronicles 31, starting in verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and of the Levites, division by division, each according to his service, the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings and peace offerings, to minister in the gates of the camp of the Lord. Anywhere you see Lord in all caps, I will remind you that's the proper name of God, Yahweh, and there's a tradition as to why that gets translated your Lord, but we're going to say Yahweh for our purposes. The camp of the Lord Yahweh and to give thanks and praise. The contribution of the king from his own possessions was for the burnt offerings. The burnt offerings of morning and evening and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the appointed feasts as it is written in the law of Yahweh. And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord, Yahweh. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the firstfruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything, and the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to Yahweh their God and laid them in heaps and heaps and heaps until the guy in charge of keeping track of everything said in verse 10, since they began to bring in the contributions into the house of Yahweh, we the priests and Levites have eaten and had enough and have had plenty left. For Yahweh has blessed his people that we have this large amount left. In verse 11, Then Hezekiah commanded them to prepare chambers in the house of Yahweh. And they prepared them. And they faithfully brought in the contributions, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Uh, and then we read through how Hezekiah assigned certain faithful people. In fact, the word faithful gets uh, repeated twice. 
faithful people to be over the divisions of priests and Levites to get temple worship going the way it's supposed to go with priests and Levites appropriately taken care of through all the tithes and offerings. And after all that description, the chronicler tells us in verse 20, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord Yahweh his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. All that I have read to you and summarized to you from the Old and New Testament is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, all men are but dust, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So let's pray for him to bless its teaching. Father, as I prepare to preach, guard my lips. And where, uh, my, where I need to say something other than I've realized, give me words, O Holy Spirit. And use those words that you have uh, led me to, to minister to this congregation and to help us all walk with you. Father, by your word and spirit, draw us to see your liberal generosity to us in all things, from the air we breathe to giving your Son for us. Move our hearts as we consider your character and your call on our life and ignite our souls in excitement to participate in your ministry in any way you call us to. Move us to be joyful and generous because it was your joy to be generous to us. May we enjoy your love more and delight to see your kingdom grow. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, everyone who is a Christian, at some level, delights to see God's kingdom growing. Because, I mean, He saved us. And we even long to be a part of seeing God grow His kingdom. But working for God's kingdom can seem to some of us like special work. Uh, some of us can think that participating in God's world rescue operation is something that you know professional Christians do. And so some of us keep ministry at arm's length so that people with MDivs and ordinations can go do it. Whether it's because we're afraid we're not good enough or we're afraid of messing things up, we hesitate to participate in ministry. I am telling you, every person, every Christian in this room right now is called to ministry. You are called to ministry. And you are called to ministry. And you are called to ministry. And you are called to ministry. M-divs and ordinations do not make Pastor Mike or I or the elders or the deacons any different than anyone. Right? The Roman Catholics got it wrong. There is no magical change when the ordination vows get said. We are still just as sinful, still full of conflicted hearts, constantly sinning and struggling and doubting and failing as any of y'all. That's the truth. 
And we often don't know the right things to say, and we do the best we can, but our ministry just isn't always good enough. And not quite good enough is all any of us can be called to, because it's all any of us can do. So my friends, you don't need to fear joining us in ministry. Because God's kingdom has never been something brought about by a special class of believers. And God's kingdom has never been brought into being by perfect people save the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And if you've been paying attention to all the adulterers and rapists and robbers that we've been looking at as the people teaching us how to walk with Jesus the last few months, you would know that most of these people are way worse than you and they're famous. So imagine what God must be calling you to. I don't say that entirely tongue-in-cheek, by the way, although it came across that way. But all of us are called to imperfectly take part in God's world rescue operation. And God is pleased to use us despite ourselves. Now, as we're going to see in this passage, do ordination and education matter? Yes, they do. Priests and Levites and pastors and elders and deacons are God's creation It was God's idea, and the offices are given to specific people. But, as Paul makes clear in Ephesians 4, verse 12, God gave the people in all the offices, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The office holders were never meant to be the ones doing ministry. And so if we are doing the ministry and you're not, we have failed. i got to chuckle, so I'm going to say it again. If we're doing the ministry and you're not, we failed. God's kingdom has, has always been what people in our denomination sometimes call a grassroots movement with everyone in his kingdom participating and contributing in their own unique and significant ways. Yes, even you. And yes, even you. Which is what the Jews in exile would have been reminded of when they read this text. Many of the Jews in exile were wondering if God's kingdom would ever be brought about. Maybe the temple in Jerusalem was up and running again when this was written. There's a little bit of, was this written in the 400s or the 300s? Second Temple Judaism? If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Just know that some stuff happened uh, that maybe was up and running or not. But most of the Jews weren't thinking about that. They were just trying to eat day in and day out. And they were waiting on their Messiah, not sure whether they had any role to play or not. And the chronicler is recounting this story for them to say, yes, you do. Now, their Messiah, our Messiah, Jesus, is the power that has overcome all worldly powers. And only Jesus could and can usher in the kingdom of God. But we have a role to play. They had a role to play. And 2 Chronicles 31 is all about all the people of Israel getting in on ministry. 
Because all Christians are called to ministry. And in this passage, we see three ways that the people then and now are invited to be a part of building God's kingdom. One, participation. Two, offerings. And three, organization. And there's more than that, but those three make a really fun acronym for those that are still five like me. Good. Some of you are still immature, and I'm thankful for that. (laughs) First, participation. Now, when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his own possession. When the worship was done, it was time to get to work doing ministry for all Israel. All the people. And I will just give you the reminder, the church is Israel today. So anything that applies to all Israel applies to us Christians. Now, an effective system of worship wasn't possible without full popular involvement. Alright? There there is a bright side to populism. An effective system of worship was not possible without full popular involvement, without everyone getting in on it. And my friends, worship cannot and should not be left to the professionals. Trying to talk myself out of a job here. Now, certainly professionals do need to fulfill their God-given roles. But direct participation by the people is equally crucial. Which is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what then, brothers? Right? He's, he's been talking about love and about gifts of the Spirit. And then he says, when y'all come together, and it does say y'all, by the way. Seriously, in the Greek, it's y'all. When y'all come together, Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So let all things be done for building up. Paul knew that in the church, everyone had something to contribute to the ministry. The church needs everyone who is a part of the church to fully engage. No one should be sitting around letting others do ministry while they either watch or merely benefit from ministry. Now, before you feel too guilty, not everyone can do everything all the time and that's not necessary. I didn't show up for the Hanging of the Greens yesterday because our family had stuff we needed to do. And you can't show up to everything because you're not Jesus. But, everyone should be significantly involved in ministry on a regular basis. That is the point of Paul's illustration about the church being a body in 1 Corinthians 12. Not that any one of us needs to do all the ministry, but that all of us need to work together to do the ministry. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, 
that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. God arranged each one. You're the members in this, okay? You're a member, and you're a member, and you're a member, and you're a member. Each one of you is a member, and God has arranged y'all as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is written, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Moose can't say to Pastor Mike, I don't need you. And I can't say to Jeremy, I don't need you. We need each other. And now, we are all the body of Christ and individually members of it. Uh, if, that, if the Bible's not good enough for you, the rolling stones have it figured out, even though they're still, even though they're giving concerts in Depends nowadays. That's an old joke. Uh, <laughs> if you don't have a sense of humor about that, I can't help you. Um, right, Mick Jagger, Charlie Watts, Keith Richards, and Ronnie Woods—they have all got a very particular role to play in the Rolling Stones. Uh, in fact, if you ever listen, uh, Richards in interviews will say he knows exactly what is happening by watching Watts' left hand. Watts was the drummer, which this was interesting to me because in jazz bands, it's actually the bassist who keeps time, uh, not the drummer. Fun musical fact. Uh, so I was really interested that it was actually Watts, uh, that if the tempo ever drags, one glance from Richards to Wood spoke volumes, and together they would step up the pace. And so the Rolling Stones' success comes from every one of them having a distinctive yet complementary role. In fact, this was a really funny interview. Uh, one of them said, Richards is the spiritual leader, Watts is the band's backbone, Wood the mediator, so I'm guessing they fought with each other, and Jagger is in control of everything he can be, a chief executive in many ways. So they weren't saying that as a, like a, that, that wasn't a dig at Mick Jagger. Uh, right, but each of the band's members is a talent in his own right. And it is the chemistry of the band has on each of them that works best. Being part of the Rolling Stones remains the best way for each of those musicians to achieve their individual goals. I get it, they've all tried to do solo albums, but the Rolling Stones is where it's at, y'all, because their music is awesome! Am I allowed to say that? I guess I did. And my friends, the best teams and the best churches are those who combine individual drive with understanding the importance and power of the team. So where are you ministering? Where are you involved with? Is there a ministry you wish we had? Go make it. Recruit some other people here in the church and say, hey, I've got this dream that we do this. And if you get two, three, four people being like, yeah, y'all do it. Send, us, send the session, I'm not on the session, send the session a note 
that you're doing it, you know? They will cheer you on and seek to equip you because that's what they're here for. Recruit people, schedule the building, whatever, and get after it. Or if you're not an organizer, find out about the ministries that already exist. Ask around. Get pointed to something. We've got women's ministries that, do, that basically are the secret government of the church because they rarely run everything. Good. A couple of you thought that was funny, although it's true. Right? Uh, ask a deacon when they're busy and serving and come help them out. Sign up for a nursery. That's one of the announcements. All right, I've been warned that you shouldn't say your opinion from the pulpit, so I'm going to step over here. It is my personal opinion that everyone that can pass a background check should be in the nursery, whether they like kids or not. Now, just like once in a blue moon on the rotation, but if every one of us would get on the nursery rotation, we wouldn't have any problems, and you'd only have to do it like once every six months. My personal opinion. Get involved with Restore OKC or Project 66, which aren't our ministries directly, but they are a part of the ministry we do. Get involved in ministry, friends, because we all need to contribute to the leadership of heritage. We all need to contribute to the leadership of heritage by getting others involved with us in doing ministry and inviting others to join us. Participate. But second, all Christians are called to ministry through their offerings. And yes, this is the tithes part of the sermon. But tithes are a biblical thing. We didn't make this up as a cash grab. It's been around since God gave us the law. And they have a purpose. Verse 2 says, Our offerings enable God's people to give thanks and praise. And here, King Hezekiah himself sets the example. Because in verse 3, it says that he made a humongous contribution. Also, the priests and Levites, that's the pastors, elders, and deacons, can give themselves to the law of the Lord. That is, give themselves to doing the teaching of the Word, the shepherding of the people, the equipping the saints for ministry. And we actually see that happen in Acts 6 when what most people believe were the first deacons uh, were ordained and installed. Uh, there was a bunch of real needs in the church that needed to be met, but the apostles needed to dedicate themselves to the ministry of word and prayer because that's a real ministry that needs to happen. That's why I have a job. But other ministry needs to happen too. So the deacons were put in place. And for the chronicler writing to these people, where this is, so he's recording Hezekiah here, but he's probably writing hundreds of years later when the Jews are in exile. For those the chronicler is writing this story to, rather than some distant and sort of odd story about people giving a bunch of stuff, which it may, might be to us, for them it was of utmost practical relevance for their godly living. When they read about the generosity of Hezekiah and the generosity of the people, it reminded them that they too need to be generous, to focus on the correct worship of God through giving and caring for his servants. For the chronicler, it was a lesson from history that needed to be heard by those in his own day. 
for it remained the pathway to success and blessing. In 1 Timothy 5, it clearly says clergy ought to get paid and providing for the servants of God to free them for other matters what has always been a concern of God's people. And the people did respond generously. Not just the people of Judah, but apparently the people of Israel. I, I sort of take this to mean some folks from the north. Uh, right? Uh, Pastor Mike has talked to us. Some of the, He keeps calling them the liberals from the north. Right? Uh, they apparently put their faith in Yahweh. They repented. And so they were given too. Uh, and, and so all of this winds up setting a new, uh, a new day, such that eventually uh, the person keeping track of everything, probably himself a priest, uh, yeah, the chief priest, was able to say, since they began to bring the contributions into the house of Yahweh, we have eaten and had enough and have plenty. For Yahweh has blessed His people so that we have this large amount left. The point is this, Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that said, I'm going to give you a heart application and a hand application. Here's the heart application. If you want to know where your heart's treasure is, look at two places. So I'm going to throw in a bonus. Look at your bank account and look at your calendar. Now, I recognize many of you still keep an old school checkbook where you write down every single check. Uh, we millennials don't do that. But we do have this fun thing called a credit card statement that serves the same function. Or maybe you're not, you know, if you're really smart, you don't use credit cards. Let's not get into a financial thing right now. Just the point is, we get this statement that tells us where we spent all of our money. And we can look at it, and that statement tells us what our heart's priorities are. And second, we can look at our calendars. Our calendars tell us what our priorities are. How have we been spending our time? I, it has been said to me more than once, you can't judge my heart, you can't see it. No, but I can, you know, if you show it to me, I can see your bank account and calendar, and that's actually a pretty good telltale sign of where your heart is. Alright, the hand application, give generously. Now, uh, many will say that the 10% tithe uh, should be the baseline of Christian giving, and that sounds good to me. I I'll tell you, I, I actually researched this a lot this week, and there's sort of a lot of opinions from a lot of smart, godly people on this, so I am really hesitant to lay down the law on anything. But, uh, especially considering that there were actually three tithes overall in the Old Testament law, which meant that most people were giving near 25% of their total income in tithing, I just raised the bar a little bit, didn't I? Uh, and, I will say, for those of you who are utterly broke, uh, there were adjusted tithes that were not that for those of lower income. They were not giving 10, even 10%. So, right, there is a responsible 
cheerful way to make a judgment about how much you ought to be giving. Uh, one godly ruling elder who's now a teaching elder in the PCA one time said to me, Wes, I think if you've got uh, debts at all, you should spend all your tithe on paying off your debts and then give generously once all your debts are gone. I, I don't know if that's biblical or not, but it sounded like pretty good advice. I I'm just putting some things out there. But the point is this. If the Old Testament people of God gave 25% of their income to the church, and there is a lesser to greater argument, used to people only did so much because God only, they only knew so much that God had done, and now we have Jesus Christ our Lord, how much more generous ought we to be? Giving generously to the church to one another and to the kingdom of God is absolutely God's will. So my challenge is 10% of the church being a good baseline. If, again, I said, if you got some extreme debts, maybe talk to an elder, get some wisdom. Maybe there's some wiggle room. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what dollar amount to give, but God's people are a generous people because God's people have a generous God who love to see the worship of God and the flourishing of His kingdom on earth. So participate in ministry. Give your offerings, your tithe to ministry. And then participate in the organization of the ministry. This is the Presbyterian part of the sermon, where I tell you that organized religion is God's will and all things ought to be done 1 Corinthians 14.40, decently, say it Presbyterians with me, decently and in order. Woo! All of our visitors are very worried now. <laughs> it is easy enough for the bureaucracy to be an enemy of spiritual life. Don't get me wrong. But there is a difference between structures with chin to the flow and structures which channel the flow of ministry. The church is an organization, and good planning and the implementation of adequate support provides a framework in which wholehearted and meaningful worship and ministry can take place. And so, in verses 11 through 19, Hezekiah does a whole bunch of administration. Every one of y'all better praise God on a daily basis for Natalie Sherrill, the office manager, because if Mike and I were in charge, Heritage would be in trouble. <laughs> so Hezekiah prepared the storerooms to receive the gifts, and all these officials were appointed to collect and distribute them and look over everything. And then uh, verse 20 and 21 tell us of God's prospering. So if you put that P on the end of the acronym, it gets even funnier for the immature among us. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before Yahweh his God, and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. The writer to the Chronicles is reminding the people then and us today that Hezekiah, the good king, was following the ways of Yahweh and Yahweh prospered him for leading all the people to participate in ministry. 
And generally speaking, guys, our churches will prosper more and more when all people fully participate in ministry. Anytime the question goes to your mind, why isn't Heritage doing better at this, and you're not one of the people solving the problem, the answer is you're not one of the people solving the problem. Again, I'm not on the session. I got no dog in this fight. I'm just lobbing grenades. But my friends, not only that, we have a greater Hezekiah that calls us to greater ministry. Right? The author of Chronicles is making the point that Hezekiah is the king in the line of David and Solomon who defines the hope of the kingdom to come, but we have an even greater king than Hezekiah. Solomon or David who is still of their line. Jesus Christ. Christos itself means the Messiah or Meshiach, which could also be translated the King. This is Christ the King Sunday. Jesus the King who has torn down and is tearing down all the idols of the world, who actually says that we can have peace for He has overcome the world. And He has blessed us beyond all we deserve by giving us His grace. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, He is the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, yet for your sake, friends, for my sake, He became poor so that you by His poverty might become rich. That's not about money. That's about owning the universe. That's not about God giving you a good job and a big house. That's about God making you a king or queen right alongside Jesus on the day He returns. Oh, it's way bigger and better than anything uh, money can offer or buy. And if you have heard some part of these promises at times, if you've even believed in this, sort of, but have wandered away, if you have done heinous things, committed terrible sins, if you don't deserve a thing from God because you've worshipped false gods while spitting in Jesus' face, or if you've merely been an apathetic Christian coming to church but never participating in ministry, looking for God's blessing while never contributing, here's what I have to say to you today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and these promises are yours. You will always be welcomed by God, no matter where you've been in exile. We will always be welcomed by God, no matter how little we've done for the kingdom, when we repent and believe in Jesus as our Lord. We will always be celebrated, no matter what idols we've set up and worshipped, no matter what sins we've committed. For we are Israel and the promise still stands if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. But Jesus gave up the full riches of eternal heaven so he could lavish us with everything that is his own by taking all of our debt for sin upon Himself at the cross. 
and being raised again for our justification. And my friends, that is a real thing. Because Jesus didn't just spiritually get raised up. It's not just some blessing when you go to heaven. It's going to be a real, pleasurable, feast-giving, goods-giving blessing. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair. And when He returns again, He says, you will be also if you've died. Otherwise, you will be raised up into a cloud and join Him as you are made a king or queen over this world at Jesus' side. But until then, until then, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you, you, we may abound in every good work. Doing ministry. God's blessing is never granted on a quid pro quo basis as a reward or right. But the guarantee that God is going to bless us is found in God's overflowing love for us in his own character. And as Jesus was just trying to give people a picture of what is to come, he took two loaves, or five loaves, and a couple of fish. And they became baskets and baskets of bread and fish. That was a sign of how much plenty we will have when Jesus returns again. And Jesus told them, everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother for the sake of my name will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Whatever it costs to follow Jesus in this life will be rewarded more than you can imagine. If the people of ancient Israel responded to the simple call of good King Hezekiah, how much more ought we to respond to that good news? That the greater David, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, has lavished us with His grace. My friends, Second Chronicles 31 is an invitation to know God through His grace and be a part of His world rescue operation by participating serving and giving generously to ministry because of the one who was generous to you first. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have promises of greater blessing than we can currently imagine. Holy Spirit, use those promises to give us hope, to give us a vision, to give us comfort for those of us who are suffering and who are lacking, and who are in need. And use that hope, and using, use seeing how generous you've been to us to drive our hearts to overflow with joy, such that as our cup, as the, the, the psalmist in Psalm 23, his cup overflowed, our hearts would overflow in generosity, abounding, because we know that in you we have sufficiency in all things. And knowing this good news, may we abound in good works. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.